and this was one of the best years of my life. I don't know, because it's a music podcast, so I didn't, I didn't go that far. Wait, 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 wait. Well, I figured, you know, if it goes well, then that's because of me. If it goes bad, that's because of you guys. So I'm not too worried. <laughs> <laughs> you can bend behind the nut. You were just thinking of Babs Bunny. <laughs> this is a hot bunny, man. Bunnies could be hot. Club banger. Flam jam. Dude, you can't judge someone's personal life and their music, otherwise you wouldn't like Kanye. And Kanye's awesome. His music is awesome. He sucks. And now, see, I was going to the ball game, my buddy Tom, we couldn't play Zigzag Wiggle Wham by the new Ball J Boys. So close. <laughs> Welcome to the Basin Triple Podcast. My name is Neil. And as always, I'm Steve. Nice. So we've been bouncing around for the last few episodes. Today we've uh, settled down to get cozy with one of the least cheesy '80s bands that we could find, <laughs> The Police. <laughs> yeah, '80s is full of like super cheesy bands. Yeah, it's 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 tough, tough waters. These guys uh, actually hold it down. Um, are they are they punk? Are they new wave? Are they reggae? Like, how would you describe The Police? Nobody really knows. Yeah. We might have a special chat with a special guest who has some good stories to tell about the police. And as usual, we're going to share a sucky song from an artist who I'm surprised hasn't already made the list. I know, it's, it's kind of amazing. So if you haven't already subscribed, um, I'm not really sure. We keep going over this every week, but if there's some kind of vendetta and you want to just let us know, um, just you know, drop a note in the comment or something. We'll get to it eventually, but we're on Spotify and Apple now. Uh, thanks, GoDaddy. And you can find us on Facebook, Bass and Trouble, for more occasional content. Yeah, we put some links up there. We put some playlists up there. Go check it out. So two episodes ago, we were talking about Rage Against the Machine, who doesn't like the police at all. And now here we are, talking about... Talking about the police. <laughs> the band called the police. <laughs> yeah, what a name. I, I promise there's no political overtones here. We just like the band. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, the, the band itself is made up of three guys, and there was a fourth when they first started. Um, Sting is obviously the most prevalent of of the band. Mm -hmm, He's kind of the sure. front man, front and center. Um, you know what Sting's real name is? Um, now, Steve, what is Sting's real name? Gordon. That's a far cry from Sting. I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense why he wanted to change his name. His <laughs> name is... Gordon Matthew Thomas Sumner. Now, people say he got the name Sting because one of his early shows, he wore like a yellow and black sweater and looked like a bumblebee. But I have a different theory. Yeah. Take his name, Gordon Matthew Thomas Sumner. Put it backwards, and it's an acronym for STM, which is almost like an I-N-G. It's wow. A, it's almost like his backwards initials. This is a really good Batman origin story for his, his <laughs> band name. <laughs> so, great. yeah, no, I don't think anyone really knows where the name Sting came from. I, I think that whole black and yellow sweater story was kind of uh, never verified. Yeah, but no. I'm going to go with the backwards acronym. And probably probably the most difficult bass lines and vocalists since, like, uh, Getty Lee of Rush, really, uh, really cool. You don't see too many bass player vocalists these days. Yeah, I, I was gonna say, who else does that? I mean, uh, we That's have it. Paul McCartney. Getty Lee, yeah, Paul McCartney. That's true. Paul McCartney. Um, 
trying to think. I'm sure there's a few more out there, but not easy to do because you've got to be on time when you're playing the bass and singing throws that all off. <laughs> it's a rare situation, but mm -hmm. Sting has somehow got it going. They're groovy bass lines too. Um, who, who else is in the band? You got Andy Summers on guitar. Uh, kind of funny. Uh, I remember reading something about how Andy Summers, like, is is more of like a like a rock guitar player and like uh, loves to really play um, a lot of different arpeggios and stuff. And somehow he ended up in a reggae band. And he always talked about how kind of like, hey, I'm I'm like a busy guitar player, and I ended up playing for a punk reggae band. I'm not sure how this happened. <laughs> <laughs> Well, how did reggae happen in the first place? I was trying to figure that out. And, um, you know, if they got together in the late 70s, what sort of reggae influence was taking over London at the time? It just, there's a missing link in there somewhere. Yeah, probably some Bob Marley connections. He was around that time, too. Maybe they, you know, smoked mm -hmm. some ganja and started playing reggae. <laughs> That's what they do. Yeah. Uh, and then Stuart Copeland, obviously, is uh, is the third member of the police. Yep. He's their drums and percussion. Yeah, he's a drum extraordinaire. And, uh, yeah. And then there was a fourth guy, Henry Padovani. But he only played like three shows with them. And then they met Andy Summers and they're like, all right, <laughs> let's see if we can be a four-piece band. Nope, that's not going to work either. So peace out, Henry. Yeah, you know, probably back in 1977 in London... Um, just like the reason I was in a three-piece band, you end up getting more more of a cut at the end of the night, at the end of the shows, because there's only three of you. Ah, so, bonus. You know, they probably wanted a second guitarist, and they're like, nah, these gigs aren't paying that well, so Henry, you gotta go. Andy, Andy you're in. <laughs> <laughs> so they were, they were founded in 1977 in London. Um, I didn't know they were, they started in the 70s. I guess, I guess I'm so relating the police to the 80s, it's not even funny. You know, I think of the police, I think of, um, you know, Wedding Singer, probably it's the first time I heard them as a kid, um, that, that wow. scene, that transition scene. Um, but, but yeah, they started in 1977, uh, right on the cusp of the 80s. I mean, their albums only came out in a short time, even it was early 80s even. I mean, I know this thing went on to do his own solo stuff for a while, which um, took him all the way through the 90s even. He was probably still putting out albums these days. But the police had a pretty short-lived stint, but um, yeah, made it pretty popular in that time. Just a reminder, we're going to be posting a playlist um, about the police on Spotify. We forgot Amazon Music because screw them. But we'll be putting <laughs> it up, and uh, make sure you check that out. We'll, we'll uh, make sure it's included on the... Uh, yeah, let's, let's try to make it very reggae-heavy. I was jamming out to these guys, and like they started out way more punk. Mm -hmm. They started out like, obviously, they're younger and energetic, but... Some of their reggae stuff is like super groovy. It is, yeah. Um, and I too feel like uh, you, you have a good point where what kind of genre are they? Because while it sounds like reggae, at times it changes to punk and at times it's just rock. I don't know. Very unique sound. And I was really enjoying listening to these songs, <laughs> getting ready for this. I was like, <laughs> gosh, there's songs that I didn't even know, didn't know the titles to, and, and I still knew them. They're that kind of band where you don't know the song name, but you know the song. Yeah, I love kind of bands like that. Who was it? Um, Hall and Oates was like that for me for a while. Yeah. Like once I saw them live for the first time, it's like, oh, that's that's your song. That's your song. When they play them back to back, it's like, wow, you guys have a pretty solid set of hits. Don't rub it in that you've seen them live. That just sounds like a party. It kind of was. 
outdoors in Prospect Park in Brooklyn. Wow. Good times. Very cool. All right. Well, their first gigs um, were on tour with a female punk singer named Cherry Vanilla. Okay. That's a great name, right? Cherry Vanilla? <laughs> <laughs> it sounds delicious. So they would perform uh, first, Cherry Vanilla, and then Singing Copeland would act as her backup band. So uh, Cherry Vanilla um, released two albums in the 70s, but never made it big as a singer. Um, later on, Coca-Cola picked her up and made her a soft drink. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just saw a show like that last year where the opening band is a subset of the actual band hmm. where um, the Fearless Flyers yeah. opened up for Wolfpack. And I didn't realize it's the same dudes. Yeah. Like Wolfpack is huge. They have like an entire party up on stage. There's, I don't know, 15 of them. But you just take like two or three of the, no, maybe like three or four of the core guys who make up the Fearless Flyers. Is the Fearless Flyers so, the band that has the three saxophone or the saxophone players included? That's like their thing. And the drummer's a different guy. He's like a black dude. I've seen their videos online before. And man, I think Wolfpack, that's why they got so big. Their video videos online are so catchy and so groovy. They're so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. yeah very German. Uh, yeah, for sure. But yeah, the Fearless Flyers have a really cool gig going on, or shtick, or whatever you want to call it, where um, their guitars are on stands. They don't really have a guitar strap. They just stand in front of them, and they play their guitar just floating in front of them on a stand. It's weirdest <laughs> thing I've ever seen, but yeah, they're all lined up in a row. It's it's a really cool deal. It takes some confidence. you imagine if that guitar just cracked off the stand mid-gig? Be, yeah, the way that they play, like yeah, oops. <laughs> yeah, they wail, they wail on those things too. So yeah, going back to the police, um, they wrote a lot of songs individually or separately, uh, where each member would start bringing in demos. But over time, it became pretty clear that Sting was the leader of of all the guys, uh, the primary writer, because a lot of what he wrote turned into the hits. He just had the musical taste that kind of was a little bit more popular to the general public. Right. At first, it worked out great. They were making hit after hit after hit, but after a while, you know, they, the other guys, mm -hmm. kind of fell for typical lead singer syndrome. Yeah. You know, yeah. where uh, lead singer is front and center, and of course, you know, Sting at the time was turning into kind of a sex symbol. You know, one thing that I got to go back to in their names. Do you think internally they call him Sting or they just call him Gordy? I couldn't, I couldn't, I don't know, like, if you introduced yourself, like, I have a friend, I don't know if you have one of these, but I have a friend who, for our entire life, we've called him Slick. His name is Daniel, but, like, no one's going to call okay. him Daniel, we call him Slick, and it just stuck. Like, it can't get rid of it. Like, if he wants to go back to Daniel, it'd be really tough. Uh, I don't think Sting could ever go back to Gordon. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know, if, I don't know firsthand, but I would imagine that he doesn't want to be called Gordon ever again. So these guys were on the cusp of, of things like music videos, huh? Because 70, late 70s, like that was actually becoming a thing? Yeah, I mean, their first music videos was really just live shots of them playing shows and whatnot. And this was, again, in the late 70s, uh, even before MTV, before music videos were a thing. But then in the early 80s, again, even still before music videos, they were one of the first ones to actually you know, make uh, productions out of it, make stories, make, uh, you know, bring in some producers and that yeah, sort of stuff. It's kind of funny to watch like what music videos looked like back then because it was kind of just like um, <laughs> montages of scenes of things. Like if I think of one of the music videos for, or the music video for their song, uh, the do-do-do-da-da-da, 
it's kind of like them <laughs> hanging out in the fall, like out in the snow. And you're like, wow, you guys really like <laughs> you guys really thought this one through. Like, yeah, we're just going to be. Having it fun. was a new art form. Yeah. So in 1984, the group, they uh, began to crumble um, after they took some time off from their synchronicity tour. So they returned 1986 to play three Amnesty International benefit concerts. Wow, does anybody remember Amnesty International? Ooh. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. no. But uh, plans for an <laughs> album uh, were scrapped uh, just after Hard Feelings, and they had other things going on. And at that point, they were pretty famous, probably running songs for the people. And the next time they worked together was in 2007. So like, really, a whole 20 years later, uh, when they reunited for a successful but probably very contentious tour that lasted over a year i'm sure they made bank um if you could <laughs> for yeah. sure all the people that followed them at that point were you know on their second and third mortgages they could afford to buy <laughs> buy tickets to the concert but sting became a top solo artist at that point uh andy summers a guitar player took up photography and released more eclectic music and uh copeland actually composed a, composed a lot of music for film and tv soundtracks um which uh, goes to show that all these guys are very, very talented. Yeah, yeah, in their own individual ways, which is really what makes such a good band to begin with. Yeah. If you just put a bunch of good musicians together, you're going to make some magic. For sure. Let's see, their first album came out in 1978, mm -hmm. and their last one came out in 83. So what is that, like a total of five years they were yeah, together? just five, five short years. And in those five years... Here's what they put out. They put out five studio albums, two live albums, seven compilation albums, 12 video albums. I don't know how that's different from um, just a regular music video. Uh, four soundtrack albums, 26 singles, and 18 actual music videos. Wow, that's, that's a lot in a short time. Um, and as you'll notice, Steve's going to really enjoy saying the names of these albums because... You know, as opposed to some bands which name <laughs> albums things that make sense, these guys were very international. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. So Outlandos de Amor in 1978 was their uh, first album. Uh, and um, what does that mean? It means Outlaws, Commandos of Love. Okay. Nice little. Fr right. Outlandos is kind of a conjunction of Outlaws, Commandos. Gotcha. And then. Amour is of love, if you want to be French about it. Yeah, these guys were just trying to get laid with, laid with these album titles. <laughs> yeah, they had some really, really good songs right right away. Um, you know what's interesting about this band is, even though this is 78 to 83, why their sound is so defining to the 80s is that any one of their songs sounds like they were made the exact same time period. Like the, the way it's tracked and mixed and the sound of it, it's like they could have been made back to back to back to back. It's really kind of interesting how they have such a distinct sound. Yeah, and we talked about that before where, especially with the Chili Peppers, as they grow older and put out more albums, their sound matures mm -hmm. a little bit. But you're right. These guys are pretty consistent all the way through right off the bat and up until their last album five years later. Yeah, so you've got... Uh some crazy hard reggae songs like so lonely what 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 albums uh, i'm saying what songs from this album steve uh, did you really like yes yeah, so lonely is one of their hits uh roxane is on this album which is one of their best known songs um can't stand losing you um those are the ones that kind of stand out for me uh interesting fact about roxane though so that was their first single it was released in london first and it flopped didn't get no anywhere way. at all really but 
yeah, then they released it in the U.S. and Americans ate that up. <laughs> They're like, oh, we love this song. So it got a little bit of notoriety and they tried to re-release it in London and that's really when it took off. So they kind of had a double release. Uh, I think it was about six months apart and the, the second time's a yeah, charm. I actually remember um, a long time ago listening to the isolation track of his bass and vocals to this song and the bass is not mm. really... Uh, it's not like this super overproduced. A lot of their music isn't really overproduced. It, it's very like raw because um, mm -hmm. they get really such a good natural natural sound out of it. But uh, it's funny we were listening to the song Rax Roxanne today, and my daughter's name is is Roxana, and so Tiffany's like, "Oh, I hate this song." I'm like, "Why?" Because what it's about. She's like, "Yeah." <laughs> I'm like, "No, for sure." Also, our daughter's gonna be called Roxanne her entire life because people can't put an A at the end of the name. But you know, it's it's a really nice song. And then can't stand losing you. Um, I think they are kind of heavy in the reggae side because reggae repeats the same kind of lyrics. You know, I can't, I can't, I can't stand losing. Yeah, they, they definitely got that influence. <laughs> um, but no, really cool uh, album to come out, you know, with, with three really catchy hit songs like that. I have some advice for you. Um, if you're a big fan of karaoke, I wouldn't recommend singing Roxanne. Really? Because the song itself clocks in is just over three minutes. And you know how many times he says Roxanne? Uh, how many times? <laughs> 26. Oh, God. It's like, the, it's like tequila on steroids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Sting only says Roxanne six times during the song, like during the actual words. But towards the end, the chorus just repeats over and over and over and over again, like... Anyone who's up on a karaoke stage gets sick of it real quick, and it just <laughs> drags out those that last minute out of three minutes. Last it seems like a lifetime because you're just saying Roxanne <laughs> over and over and over and over That's again. That's when you just drop the mic because people are just like, "All right, stop saying Roxanne again. We're done with it." <laughs> yep, you've made your point. So, yeah, let's move on. Their next album came out the next year, 1979, and that one was called Regatta de Blanc. That means, Again, had that, that French influence guess, on that it. That means something white, because Blanc is Blanco, like white in Spanish. What's Regatta? What's right? Regatta? Regatta is like uh, reggae. Oh, is that French for reggae? Oh, wow. Okay. I don't, know if it's, I don't know if it's French. I think it's more just made up. <laughs> nice. But it translates to some sort of Frang Franglish as white reggae, which kind of explains who these guys are. And this is Stuart Copeland's favorite album that they that they made. Um, Stuart Copeland's... And I can see why. It's It's got a bunch of good tracks on here, too. Yeah, uh, probably my favorite song um, of theirs. One of my favorites is definitely Walking on the Moon. Um, it's got a cool feel mm -hmm. to it. it. It changes up, too, right? Because it does that, so they say... Da, 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 da. And it doesn't really go with the rest of the song, but uh, yeah, it's a deep, deep vibe. It has like a really cool, kind of sultry vibe to it. Yeah, I get a bunch of like mental images when I hear this song. Half of the time, I just want to sit on a hammock in a big backyard and listen to this song, have it blasting. But on the other hand, I also like 
picture Neil Armstrong like taking giant <laughs> steps as he's walking on the moon. Like it definitely fits the vibe of a moonwalk. And then uh, it also has uh, the song "Message in a Bottle," um, which uh, is yeah, and a tricky, tricky song to play uh, on guitar. I remember looking it up. The first police song I ever tried to learn was this song, and I was way too young, and I was like, "Yeah, I can't, I can't do this." It's like really, <laughs> really tricky and uh, very catchy. Um, the lyrics are kind of cool. I, I picture the lyrics. It's one of these very like, um, I want to say it's not typical of rock for lyrics to be so descript like that. But at the end, when he's like hundred million bottles washed up on the shore, it kind of makes you feel bad for him. Like, wait, he's waiting for a message in a bottle. Now he has all these messages. Like, what is going on? I think that's what that's why Sting is such a great songwriter. He is a storyteller. Mm -hmm. He can make these vivid images and tell these stories using really good, great words. And um, yeah, Message in the Bottle is a great example of it, Walking on the Moon. On the other hand, there's also a great instrumental track on this where Sting didn't write any lyrics for it. Um, it's the title track, Brigada de Blanc, uh, was their first Grammy Award for Best Rock Instrumental Performance back in 1980. Oh, wow. No kidding. Huh. That's very yeah. cool. Yeah, these guys, uh, I think, ended up with four Grammys all, all together. This was just the first. Steve's super excited about their third album. He loves this album. I will never get sick of saying this name. It's called Zenyata Mondata. The translation is not available because it's totally made up. Yeah. Although, um, in a little bit, once we get to the rock facts, um, there's some really cool things that are happening these days with the words Zenyata and Mondata. Oh, no kidding. But we'll get to that in a bit. Yeah. Yeah. So these guys won a Grammy for Best Rock Performance uh, for the vocal and Don't Stand So Close to Me. Which uh, is a little bit of a creepy song, Steve. <laughs> yeah, I call this one number one creeper <laughs> anthem of all time. Like, if I could just read like the first lyrics here, it's about a young teacher, the subject of schoolgirl fantasy. She wants him so badly. She knows what she wants to be. Inside her, there's longing. This girl's an open page. Bookmarking. She's so close now. This girl is half oh, his gosh. age. It's basically about a schoolgirl and, and teacher type of Ooh. fantasy. It's like he he has a crush on his student, but he can't be seen in public. It's like, hey, don't stand so yeah, close to me. Yeah, he's gonna give her a car ride at some point, right? Because he says his car is warm and dry. It's yeah, it's definitely creepy. Yeah, she's out the <laughs> she's at the bus stop and he's driving to school. It's like yeah, that's that's just but, not you know, okay. It does happen in 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 the case where you know schoolgirls do kind of fall in love for the good looking teacher. It's just normally you don't write a song about it because it will get you on some kind of list. And this is pre-internet, right? So had Sting written this was thirty Sting years ago. This when when this was AOL, be like, all right, start tracking this guy. <laughs> <laughs> really into this. Yep. So this album also had one a song that you just mentioned recently, "De Do 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 De Da Da Da." Now, at first glance, that's like here we are talking about Sting as like an amazing songwriter, and he's coming up with like gibberish titles. It's like, all right, come on. Uh, they yeah. just don't make titles like that anymore. But then once you once you boil, once you start breaking down the lyrics, it's actually kind of cool. Yeah, I had a drummer once who pointed out to me that this song, if you listen to the drum playing in it, he never plays the drum 
the same way twice in every four measure segment. He switches up how he does the hi hat, which is really kind of like when you listen to it, you go, oh my god, like this song is pretty straightforward. But Stuart Copeland is is amazing. He has such good like uh, technique, and he's more of a jazz drummer, mm. which. It, like none of this band makes sense. You've got a guitar player who's a rock guitarist. <laughs> you've got a drummer who's jazz, and then you've got Gordy over here playing his reggae bass. So I think that's why it all got together. <laughs> yeah, put it all together, and bam, you got the police for sure. Um, but that song is pretty funny with that song title. You got to imagine they were like you could have called the song something else. You know, it's like now nah, let's just go with the do 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 da 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 part and put that as the title. Once you start digging into the lyrics, it kind of makes sense. Like, it starts out, he says, Don't think me unkind. Words are hard to find. They're only checks I've left unsigned from the banks of chaos in my mind. Like, come on, that's, like, deep. Basically, it's a whole point. It's a whole song about not having the right words at the right moment. So when you don't know what to say, you just say gibberish. This song has to be the least searched song on Google for song lyrics, because all anybody thinks about is the do-do-do, <laughs> da-da-da. That's all I want to say to you. Um, no, it's very, that is kind of interesting, though. I had no idea that lyric existed in the depths of a song that's so fun and poppy like that. That's pretty deep. <laughs> right. So at, at, at face value, it's, it's gibberish, but there's a reason for it. You got to love Sting. So also in this album, they won another Grammy, actually two years in a row for Best Rock Instrumental Performance. Uh, the year before, they had the title track of Regatta de Blanc. Uh, this time they had a song called Behind My Camel, <laughs> which I didn't check out the lyrics to that one, but it sounds stinky. There, there are no lyrics. <laughs> oh, duh. <laughs> it does sound pretty smelly. So I wonder, <laughs> behind my camel. yeah, what kind of vibe could you get from hanging out behind these a camel? Are like, um, these guys um, are like experts at winning Grammys for specific genres. <clears throat> they're, they're almost like a, like, a, like a movie studio that goes out to win a, uh, an Oscar. So they, you know, they do a period film, even if they don't want to. We're going to get this Oscar. Um, and so they really <laughs> wanted to get that best rock instrumental performance. Man, they, they give out a lot of Grammys, huh? Yeah, back in the day, they had very different categories best, than they have best, now. Best boom mic stand holder. Best, <laughs> best wire runner. That's <laughs> like, okay. That's funny. Poets, priests, and politicians. So then you got Ghost in the Machine coming out in 1981. Um, this is where they get a little bit like Genesis influenced, I want to say, to name another band, where they Ooh. start to incorporate a lot of horns. Okay. I actually noticed that too um, when I was listening through the different uh, tracks that this one, they definitely um, stepped up the horn game. But that's also kind of where the descent started mm -hmm. happening. Uh, the previous three albums, everybody was on the same page. They had a vibe going. They they were pretty tight on that. But the fact that they started changing up their style here a little bit, like Sting wanted to get a little bit more poppy, and these guys are like, nah, that's not what I'm going for. But Sting was all like, hey, I'm the front man. I'm going to do what I want to do. And that's uh, it was the beginning of the end right there. It's going to be tough, Steve, going from like that... 70s vibe right because just because a band gets started in 77 their influences are probably <clears throat> more of that mid early 70s vibe and now we start throwing in synths and um 
really getting rid of that whole, you're right, that whole power trio, you know, feel that they were going for. Um, Spirits of the Material World. Um, yeah, that song is very political, isn't it? Yeah, they talk about, you know, political solutions to our troubled evolution, have no faith in constitution, there's no bloody revolution. Basically what they're saying still kind of rings through rings true today when you're talking about capitalism running amok yeah yeah sure i was uh i really like it though um our spirits in the material world it's kind of makes you think that lyric always makes always made me think of like how our 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 souls who we are has to live in a world where all we care about is what we have which is kind of kind of interesting this was also the 80s and i know that madonna's material girl (laughs) <laughs> came out around the same time, probably within just a few years after this. Yeah, and then my my favorite song, um, Every Little Thing She Does is Magic. I, I, I bet this is one of your favorite songs of theirs too, right? Yeah, it's 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 cute. It's innocent. It's about having a crush on a girl, not getting up the nerve to tell her about it, uh, wanting to pick up the phone, but not quite getting around to it. I always tell Tiffany that this song is like, Every, I think I think of her every time when I hear this song because it is kind of just so it's so obvious when guys fall hard for a girl everything she does is magic and if I right. ever uh, growing up if it's kind of funny growing up in like my I want to say early 20s mid 20s and even now if there's ever a woman in my life or a girl that I know who's having like relationship issues I send them this song <laughs> and I go make sure your guy's making you feel like this and I always get like an nice. appreciated like oh that that's kind of cool it's like yeah that's what you should be expecting <laughs> Yeah, that's some good guidance right there. Yeah, for sure. So this song also had a song called Demolition Man, which actually clocks in at their longest song. It's almost six minutes. Um, got a strong bass line, strong saxophone, mm-hmm. but really didn't get popular until 1993 when the movie came out, Demolition Man. It's so funny. I was just going to add some some stupid quip about, oh, does this have to do with Demolition Man? And they actually use this song for yeah, the movie Demolition The other way Man. around. Huh. Yes, so Sylvester Stallone and Wesley Snipes. That was a cool action movie. That's interesting, man. You know, back so this is '81. I want to say back then this is like you know U2 peak as well, right? Like there's there's U2s coming mm-hmm. out and really making a strong vibe. Um, no, this is a great album and a lot of really good songs. And you know, I think some of the what we consider filler songs for these guys, um, their albums are really really good. I mean, this is '81. So when did CDs come out? Probably in yeah early eighty three early eighties right so we're still creating vinyls at this point and so these guys are still on the hook to have the songs not suck so bad um, between <laughs> right. between their hits but well I noticed that too a, a lot of their albums kind of track as um, actual albums with a side one side two always you know around ten or eleven tracks it's very album formatted. Yeah, and the the artwork for this album is really slick. It's the one that has those like uh, '80s the LCD. LCD displays. Yeah, and I don't. That was really all know, like tweaking it, out. What does it mean though? Like I look at the three and I think of the three of them. A lot of their album covers are like the three of them or have kind of a triangle feel to them. But this one, it kind of looks to me like um, like stick figures made out of the digital clocks. I see it as a ghost in the machine. It's the oh. the digital symbols 
but they don't really make a whole lot of sense. They're not numbers or letters. It's just kind of static out there, and there's some ghost in there who's tweaking the LCDs. Did you ever drive a car that had one of those digital displays? I remember driving a car with one of those digital displays <laughs> when I was younger that had the speed limit display that was an actual, those LCD screens that would tick up. Right. Yeah. Yep. Why do we go no, away from that? It. That's super cool. Screw a dial. I want it to be like the old LCD that can break. If I break too hard, it just shuts us out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what kind of cars you were driving, but they did not sound safe. <laughs> uh, actually, funny story. If I can, if I can sideways on this one, I remember mm -hmm. driving. I wasn't supposed to be driving. I think I may have been 11 or 12. Mom, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry. There's a guy. <laughs> <clears throat> Actually, it was before then because my parents were still married. This guy let me drive, I must have been eight or nine, down like a straightaway in Davie, Florida. And he had this Italian car. It was like a T-top Italian car. I couldn't tell you who made it. It was like this really offshoot Italian car. Well, long story short, he let me drive down this road. That's not the fun part of the story. The fun part is when he then took me home, got pulled over, and was informed that the car was stolen. At which point what? he was like, wait, I just bought this from a dude. And he totally like helped the officer like, no, like, you don't understand. I bought this like the other day, like I'll help you go to their house. And the police officer was like, okay, like let's, let's figure this out. And they ended up figuring out like the whole thing. The guy said, Hey, I'm with this kid. Can I like drop him off at his house? And like, yeah, sure. And I don't know what happened to it, but all I know is that it was like, wait, what's happening. You're in a stolen car. What, what's going on? Yeah. Who was this guy? I don't know. It's just some random church member. I would always find a way to sneak out of my house when I was a kid and just like find my <laughs> way back. Parents would ask no questions. and be like, oh, he's alive. Remember, I'm the, I'm the youngest of three. So kind of. Uh, uh, that explains it. But anyways, that's, <laughs> just... my, that's my memory of digital displays. My first digital display uh, experience in a car. That, that's what you get out of it. Your first experience driving a car was uh, had, had a ghost in the machine. That's right. <laughs> So Synchronicity is their final album, came out in 1983, and at this point these guys were on top of the world. Like They were slowly building and building building through their pr previous four albums, and now they're well known, they're doing world tours. Um, they were nominated for five Grammys on this album, Wow! including Album of the Year. Uh, they ended up winning three of them. No kidding. So, uh, yeah, Rolling Stone actually even called these guys the biggest band in the world, 1983. That's a huge deal, man. Rolling Stone, I mean, big deal back then. That's kind of why we're covering them on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, they did hit that legendary status at some point. Yeah. And it's right around this time in 83 when Synchronicity came out. So what Synchronicity do you like best than this album? The Synchronicity 1 or Synchronicity 2? Because I'm more of a fan of Synchronicity 2. Yeah, that was that was their single. I mean, that was the hit. Synchronicity 1 I listened to, and it, I didn't quite understand why they needed two separate synchronicity songs <laughs> <laughs> but hey i'm gonna let them do their thing it's being thematic um yet there's a bunch of great songs on here mm -hmm. um king of pain is one of my personal favorites it's, sick song. it's just yeah it the way that it builds up the way it's groovy um yeah it starts out kind of slow and just mm -hmm. kind of intros out but by the end it's like you're in it you're jamming out and as I was listening, reminded me of a cover song. Um, you, you keep mentioning we have all these Spotify playlists. We're, we're making all these custom playlists. One of them is 
better covers. Yep. Shout out to Doug. Anytime Rousey. you hear a song, yeah. <laughs> Anytime you hear a song that's better than the original, and I wouldn't say it's better, but Alanis Morissette does a cover of King of Pain called Queen of Pain. Oh. And she kind of captures the essence of the song. It's really good to listen to. It's so, so funny. I know that song and I know this song and I just now realize it's the same song. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Um, no, that's really cool. And then, of course, you've got um, Every Breath You Take, which uh, still, it's so funny. My, my six-year-old has probably heard it before, but she was humming along to it today at dinner. I like, turned it on and she was just like, Humming along to it, I'm like, how does she already know how this goes? It really does connect with people, that song. It means that you're doing melody. a good job as a dad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if it's your kid in the womb. <laughs> yeah, she can she can sing along with the police from, you know, 30-something years ago, then you're on the right track. Yeah. But every breath you take, I mean, if we want to talk about creeper anthems, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's... I mean, on the other hand, you could be talking about Santa Claus. He, <laughs> he sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He's watching you with every breath you take. <laughs> this is true. And also, as we know, it's very uh, famously uh, sampled for I'll Be Missing You after uh, Notorious B.I.G. died. Oh, mm -hmm. thank you for making that connection. Yeah. When I was researching like similar bands, I saw Puff Daddy on there and I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> wait, hold on. <laughs> Something similar doesn't bands. quite line up here. Puff, yeah. yeah, sure. Puff Daddy. No problem. It's like, just take a bunch of people that he sampled from the 80s. But no, it, it really is a, it really, it's kind of funny though, of all their songs, it's probably the one that's the most dated. Like you could totally hear that kind of 80s vibe in it. Um, mm. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and you know. But no, great, great way to end. Uh, and, you know, obviously they, after they did this album, got nominated for all these Grammys. It's just how it works with these great bands. They're like, oh, we're so great. We're so on top. Uh, let's go do separate things. Which, you know what? It's funny that we talk about all these groups, but we never talk about how um, you're with these people all the time. You're there. You're there. Uh, you have to be friends first before you can really vibe at all. And uh, sometimes it's best to remain friends and not have to have that you know, burden of a musical group of touring. Yeah, it's got to be a lot of pressure. I mean, when Rolling Stone calls you the biggest band in the world, how do you follow that up? Steve, it's really not that easy to do. If we have a lot of pressure doing a podcast once a week, imagine what these guys <laughs> had going into a studio like every day trying to record music. You, you got pressure? Hard. Man, I just breeze through this. I'm just like here hanging out with my buddy talking about music. Oh, it's, it's just another day. I am so much <laughs> pressure to get this right. <laughs> all right well hey at least one of us takes this seriously <laughs> no, i'm kidding <laughs> so these guys got inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame in 2003 um very well deserved yeah uh their second album started four consecutive number one studio albums in the uk and australia they only had five albums yeah so, so. that's pretty great <laughs> for the mint number yeah. one um so i'd say that's pretty good six grammy awards two brit awards right half of their grammys came from their last album yeah right and the other two were instrumentals and then there was the sixth one thrown in there somewhere which i don't think we talked about Rolling Stone love these guys. You know how Rolling Stone kind of keeps a running list of the 500 greatest albums of all time. Again, four out of five albums made the top 500 of all time. Uh, again, I kind of feel bad about that first album, yeah. which 
you know, really wasn't that bad. Roxanne is a classic song, but I guess not enough to be the best of all time. Yeah, for sure. And they were uh, included among both Rolling Stone and VH1's list of the 100 greatest artists of all time. And uh, I think that that is fair. These guys have a... Uh, it's like why they get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They have a lasting impact. They're influential. They made it. Their music made a difference. Um, and so I think kids everywhere kind of uh, dug their music and still do. I, I, It's really funny, you know, both of us spending time in Florida. I don't know if you feel this way, but I feel like the police are on classic rock radio all the time in Florida. They're like perfect beach weather music. Their songs. Florida still has classic rock radio? Oh, yeah. 105.9. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> nice. Magic. Uh, 102.7. And then, what is it, Big 105.9? That's funny. I have to look up. Does anybody listen to oh, FM yeah. radio anymore? I feel like when I turn it on, I just get so nostalgic. I'm like, oh, my God, I could turn this on at any time. This is like... Uh, when we used to have air TV, you know, we could just plug an antenna in. Ah, uh, yeah. Tiffany reminds Airwaves me that still exists. She still reminds me, like, we could get an antenna. And I'm like, nah, screw that. Like, what? Yeah, no. Just... No need for that. <laughs> I mean, you drive. What do you listen to in a car? Like, when I would drive back in Florida, I was on the radio all the time. It, you and I have the problem, though, that we just have such a specific music palette that it's very, you know, I have, like, different playlists for different moods. I listen to way too many podcasts when I'm on the road, um, just, you know, keeping up with news and and whatnot. But uh, but no, I definitely have my select curated playlist. And unfortunately, I don't really do the radio too much. I don't do like the streaming radio services. I don't even do the radio through Spotify. Like, hey, play a radio station of a certain band. And I probably should. I bet right. you the police is pretty slick. It probably has a lot of good good music in it because their music's so um, eclectic. Probably throws in a lot of cool yeah. That whole new wave of the '80s was half cheesy and half actually good. <laughs> All right, Dan. Well, hey, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having board. me. Yeah, for sure. So, so Dan, um, we play some basketball from time to time. I've jammed out in the in the girl in the old garage, and um, so no, I thought of you dan because of your musical background and then uh was like hey we're doing the police do, do you like the police and then you, you you kind of explained to me that you kind of more than like them <laughs> yeah yeah uh, one of my all-time favorites for sure i'm, I'm a child of the 80s and uh, a little bit of the 70s so they're, they're right in my wheelhouse that definitely perfect nice steve is a child that was born in the in the 70s <laughs> yeah go ahead rub it in <laughs> yeah <laughs> no sorry cool well well no so like um you know, we just, uh, you know, going through all the different albums and all the different music uh, that the police put out there. Um, what, what are some of your favorite, you know, either things about the police or tunes or kind of what, what made you like them back in the day? Yeah, I, I've uh, liked them really since the first time I heard them. I probably was introduced to the police like a lot of guys my age. Um, you ever see the movie 48 Hours with Eddie Murphy and Nick Nolte? Oh yeah, yeah, right, yeah, right. A, it might be, the, it may be the opening scene. I, I can't remember, um, but it's very early, early in the movie where Eddie Murphy's singing Roxanne at the top of his lungs. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? <laughs> oh, yeah. So, um, and it was all over the radio, and that that was like most people. My introduction to the Police, and then uh, you know you couldn't get away from them back in the eighties. They were one of the one of the biggest bands in the world. Um, uh, co totally cool band. I mean, they they mixed pop, reggae. Um, you know, a little bit of jazz and mm -hmm. uh, and, and punk. Yeah. Totally cool. Very, very unique. Very unique vocals. 
somehow they they made it all work. They they fit it together and yeah. Yeah, it was kind of interesting just in the thought of um, as you're kind of thinking about all the different music the police made, how how consistent their sound was as a band. Like we were kind of marveling at, wow, like their songs kind of uh, have similar feel and vibe. I know later on it gets a little more synth and keyboard heavy, but it still has that kind of signature uh, sting bass and Stuart Copeland and Andy Summers sound. You know? Yeah, I, well, I, I've heard them described um, as a new wave band, and I. I I guess you could you could dig some of that out of out of, uh, out of them, but I, I never thought of them as new wave. For me, the, the um, really the distinctiveness of them was Stuart Copeland's drum drum playing. I mean, it's he's you watch him play legendary. Like Hundred mile, yeah, legendary. That's that's the best way to put it. And, yeah, uh, um, you know, staying with the uh, very cool bass lines, but but very uh, clever lyrics. And, yeah, uh, and great voice and Andy Summers with that kind of that reggae reggae guitar rhythm almost speaking of seeing them live is that something you ever got a chance to do growing up i did i saw them in 84 which oh made, wow uh, pre- i think it predates uh, you now <laughs> the they, yeah but they were still a band so they were still like together back then that was like one of the last years they were still together yeah they were at their height that was a synchronicity tour i saw them at the old coliseum oh, uh, here, here in the cleveland awesome. area yeah and it was great concert the um fortunately the sound quality was a little bad in, in that big arena but just to see them at, at their at their height, played all their hits and, and then some, and, and and then actually saw. I know it's not the police per se, but I saw Sting a few years later in a solo tour um, up here in Cleveland as well, and, and uh, uh, every bit is good. But but yeah. Now I'm I'm a I'm a big fan of the Power Trio. And, uh, sorry about that. And yeah, no, it's um, it's nice to have you on, Dan. So, what's your favorite police song? Um. Well, probably. Uh, I think everyone would probably say rock band, and that's certainly one of them. Um, but, jeez, uh, uh, um, Walking on the Moon. Yeah, that's uh, my favorite. That's one of my favorites, too. Yeah, yeah. so cool. Nice. Uh, bring, bring on the Night. Yeah, that's a good song. Uh, getting there, into there's, some deep cuts there, yeah. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and just just go through their their uh, um, their album, their discology, I guess you would say, or discography. Yeah. It's, it's just everything is, is just so good, so. Yeah. yeah. What's funny is that you were introduced to them through a movie, Forty Eight Hours, and yeah. What What's funny is that you were introduced to them through a movie, Forty Eight Hours, and I was introduced to them through a movie. So to age myself, The Wedding Singer. So <laughs> really, the first time I ever heard them was through The Wedding Singer, um, and not to say not that I heard them, but the first time I was like, oh, that's a really cool song, and it was Every Little Thing She Does Is Magic, which I guess I hadn't heard until the time, and I was like, oh, that's a cool song. But, I think uh, that's we, off the uh, the Ghost in the Machine album, if I'm not mistaken, which yeah. is a really really weird album. <clears throat> Excuse me, but um, yeah, that's definitely a good one. Well, good stuff. Well, kind of kind of rare to get a guest on here that's actually um, seen a band uh, from the '80s perform live. That's pretty cool. <laughs> it's cool that you got to see them at like the peak of their powers, yeah. where they where they could play all of their good songs. Uh, that's pretty awesome. That's like what I I saw Rush once uh, when they did their Time Machine tour. <laughs> Um, and that was pretty cool because they did all moving pictures and then they did like an extension of all the other hit songs. And, um, it's always nice when that happens. And then Steve, here's a, here's a question for you. Do you, have you seen bands, but don't remember where? Cause I always find that I'll ask Steve on one of these reviews, like, Oh yeah, have you ever seen this <laughs> band? And he's like, yeah, I think so. I don't remember. I'd have to look through my ticket stubs. Do you have that problem sometimes, Dan, where you have to actually remember? no, I, <laughs> I've, uh, I pretty much remember them all. <laughs> I, I, I saw I saw a ton of them, and um, 
yeah, I, I, uh, for some reason that stuff sticks with me. Yeah, no worries. Well, hey, Dan, Very thanks cool. for jumping on, man. We appreciate it, and uh, yeah, thank you. All right, guys. Thanks for having me. I really do appreciate it. Absolutely. We'll have you on another one soon. Take care. Bye. All right, well, without further delay, it's time for our... All right, so let's start out by talking about Roxanne. Roxanne is one of their most popular songs, and if you don't know, it's about a prostitute put on putting on the red light. That's that's basically the idea here. That's not how it started. So it started off as a lullaby idea for his unborn child. Um, you know, Sting first played it for him when he was falling asleep with his wife. Kate Summers, 1977. Aw, that's so sweet. Yeah, he was playing it in the next room, and as he was falling asleep, he's like, oh, that song is such a nice lullaby. I guess they talked about it the next day after we woke up. He's like, yeah, man, that's, that's not really what the song is about. <laughs> like, what the hell? <laughs> like, what's going on? That's really funny. So, I mentioned it before, but um, Zenyata Mondata yeah. has worked its way into Overwatch lore. Really? So you know the video game Overwatch. Yeah, 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 sure. Yeah, so there's a character in it. Um, I, I guess there's a whole race of characters, and they're all like cyborg monks. They're spiritual cyborgs. And this group of cyborg monks is led by a guy named Mondata. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. And yeah, they have a really deep story about it, how he is on a mission to heal wounds caused by the spiritual cyborg crisis and bring humans and robots into societal harmony and like interesting it, it's it's actually kind of cool um but the guy's name is Mondata and then also as part of this you know uh subplot robot monk culture subplot yeah. uh there's another guy called Zenyata who disagreed with what Mondata was doing <laughs> and went off in his own direction and uh, went through his own way to try to repair the problems between humans and cyborgs. That's really deep. The story gets deep. I'm, I'm really kind of, you know, glancing over it, but I just think it's kind of cool that Overwatch picked out these two completely random gibberish names and, and made a story around them. I'm sure that most of the kids playing Overwatch these days have no idea who the police are. Oh yeah, I mean they have no idea what sex is either. So before they <laughs> hit it before they hit it big, um all three members of this band apparently dye their hair blonde for Wrigley's cum commercial. Whoa. <laughs> 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 We're leaving that in. Too funny. So they dyed their hair for a Wrigley's gum commercial in 1978 that apparently never aired. I guess they weren't sure if they were going to make it, so they're like, let's do this commercial. See if it goes off I, that's really interesting and it turned into one of their like defining characteristics when they first came out their bleach blonde hair was their image right and it kind of wasn't planned it was just part of you know hey let's be in a commercial let's dye our hair blonde and it en ended up sticking if i can make a gum pun here <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny if it would have been a mentos commercial it would have been even more 80s <laughs> right yeah oh that's funny so yeah, this kind of, like I was saying, with all their early music videos, they were known with their bleach blonde hair. Yeah, for sure. I didn't know that was coordinated. I didn't know they all, like, decided, let's dye all our hair blonde. That's why the band woke up, I mean, broke up, you know, after five years yeah. of doing that <laughs> bullshit. It's like, I just want to have brown hair. 
And Gordon, Gordy's over there like, no, Andy, dye your hair. I'm sick of this. <laughs> <laughs> I know pop. <laughs> oh, man. So then, you know, Sting, obviously, after the band broke up, went on and did a bunch of solo music stuff. But what I didn't know... You ever watch Captain Planet and the Planeteers? Oh, yeah, he's our hero. Gonna turn pollution down to zero. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, then. <laughs> yeah. You know the bad guy, Zarm? No, no. Is he, was he, like, the main bad guy? Doubtful. He's probably a bad guy. <laughs> but it was voiced by Sting. Sting played a cartoon character, similar to Flea we were talking about in the Chili Peppers episode a few weeks ago. He played a cartoon character in the Wild Thornberries. This shows that we were not taking climate change seriously back in the 90s because we named the bad guy Zarm. What the hell does that even mean? Like, we, we really, you know what's funny? We thought back then that climate, that climate change, well, global warming, was like a bad guy that we could stomp out with magic. It turns <laughs> out all, all we need to do is eat a little, little less meat and drive more fuel-efficient cars and we'll be all right. <laughs> Avoid air travel. Instead, it's like, no, you got to be kids and really fight for the planet. Bring pollution down to zero. Yeah, for sure. Well, that that's a really cool thing, and that concludes our... All right, so some similar artists and albums. Um, yeah, these guys were very influential. Like, they were, you know, if they were one of the biggest bands at the time, obviously mm-hmm. there are other bands that came out of this. Um, Puff Daddy, which we already talked about, <laughs> which, you know, where would he be if not for the police? <laughs> yeah, totally influenced by, by Sting's amazing lyrics. But there were also a few other bands, like UB40, also a white guy, <laughs> very reggae-influenced band uh, in the, I guess, mid-late 80s. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Tears for Fears. Yep. Um, Men at Work and Simple Minds, like a, a lot of that new wave Men wave. Aren't they like a one-hit wonder? Did they have anything more than that da- Man Down Under song, or was that pretty much it? Yeah, I'm, I'm drawing a blank right now. The lead singer went on to have a few solo hits, too. Uh, sure. I can't think of his name right now, but What a yeah. corny band name, Men at Work. I definitely think <laughs> of Police. I think of U2. Sorry that, la- sorry that last week I kind of went in on the edge a little bit. He is a good guitar player. I just I can't put him in the same room <laughs> as Jack White and Jimmy Page. It's just yeah. my own thing. But at the same time, they kind of do go hand in hand. I wonder, uh, you know... They probably did some stuff. I know these guys did some stuff at Live Aid, right? Back in the day, back in the eighties. Of course. I mean, yeah. if you're going to be the biggest band, then you have to you have to make a showing there. That's awesome. But I guess what this shows from this list is that they're uh, they're kind of um, similar artists are few and far between. I think um, even you two, you know, I, I think these guys are very singular, and the fact that they were able to combine reggae, rock, pop as three white guys from England. Very, it's a very unique band for sure. I think that's why yeah. they rock so much. Yeah, they kind of led a new, uh, what do you call it? Um, British invasion. Mm-hmm. These guys were from London, like the early 80s, that whole new wave scene. You know, you had the 60s with the Beatles and all these bands coming out of, out of, out of the UK. And there was a short time in the 80s where there was a, a new British invasion. And uh, these guys kind of led the path for a lot of that. This is as close to the actual 70s music as we can get, because Steve's in the 70s is not the thing. It's probably a very limited, curated group of bands were in the 70s. Because yeah, you got to I mean, realize, don't... you had the 60s, and then you had the early 70s, which was right. still a, from the 60s, a holdover. And then you had the mid-70s, which was just kind of the same bands. They all sounded similar. 
And then you get disco, which we will never (laughs) talk about on this show unless we get to Sucky Song of the Day. That's for sure. So uh, I had the honor of picking this song. And so thank you. Thank (laughs) you for for this gem pulling this one out. So background of this, we're driving back uh, from somewhere yesterday and Tiffany's like, I don't know what happened. Oh, yeah. She brought up Britney Spears' Instagram account. So if you're ever feeling like, you know, you're having a bad day or you're not doing enough with your life, go look up Britney Spears on Instagram. It's literally videos of her. dancing really weird to music and it's just like what is going she's totally stuck in the 90s she's wearing the same outfits and um to make a long story short um she starts to go down britney spears's like song playlist and i can do like a toxic you know even like a (laughs) hit me baby one more time i can kind of vibe to and then this tolerate it this song lucky comes on and oh it's just so awful it is terrible. Uh, it's about it's a story about a girl named Lucky, and that's how it starts. Britney Spears <laughs> just sitting there this is a story in the about video. A girl named Lucky, what? She, she comes on stage like dressed up as a you know her normal self. She says, "This is a story about a girl named Lucky," and then she walks <laughs> off stage. And then the the video kind of plays out like a play, like scene by scene kind of situation. But it's completely unnecessary to start out with that who calls themselves lucky i mean who calls themselves sting for that matter yeah but a girl <laughs> named lucky it's like what is, is she raised by gypsies like I'm, I'm totally confused and you can obviously tell that the song's just about her and she it's like i'm so lucky and she just says the word cry i mean talk about a count she just cry like 15 times and then just cry 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 i'm like what is going on i really think this is the song that invented vocal fry <laughs> dude like I'm- you gotta tell me I was a Christina Aguilera fan part of it is that she put out less sucky music and could actually sing right she had a real voice yeah but no this whole song is just it has a weird interlude and it has this like 50s kind of vibe to it like Frankie Valli it's so weird yeah needless to say in many many ways this song sucks yeah don't look it up and by the way hilariously (laughs) enough if you if you google britney spears's top 10 songs this is like number four on the list and that should tell you all you need to know about britney spears if this is the fourth best song on a lot of lists that's a problem All right. Well, this this was another successful podcast. Remember to uh, look us up on the internet. And uh, thanks for thanks for jumping on. Peace. Peace.
Thank you.